Hi, I'm Pastor Jeff, and I'm here with Becky Chenault, Director of Chapel Street Kids, and we want to talk to you about something really important. Powerful moments often come from a simple yes. And today, I'm inviting you to say yes. But this yes isn't a simple one. It comes with the great reward of seeing babies here for the first time that they were created by God. Or watching kids hear the story of God's amazing rescue plan. Or walking alongside a masterpiece family as we discover together how each person is uniquely created. It's one of my great joys to have a front row seat in what God is doing at Chapel Street Church. And we have more and more kids coming on Sunday mornings and to Adventure Club and Buddy Break. Week in and week out, we welcome new families. Maybe you don't see us in Action Weekly, but I want you to know that we have an incredible team of people who have said yes to pouring in to our littlest Chapel Streeters. But there's a need for more. We have some crucial roles that need to be filled. Across our four campuses, it takes 307 people to make up our full team of servants. And we don't want you to miss out on what God is doing in the lives of our Chapel Street kids. So I want to invite you, each of you, to answer this call. We need our Chapel Street family to step up. We need 140 more servants, 140 more people to say yes. You know, I've been here almost 25 years, and my grown children grew up in this church. Many of you invested in their lives. And I think back on those days, and I'm profoundly grateful for the impact, the mentoring, the challenging, the encouragement that was provided for them through our kids' ministries. And I think about the kids, as Becky said a moment ago, there's so many new families coming, so many kids coming. We're in desperate need of people like you to make a difference in their lives. You might be thinking that you don't have what that takes, you're not sure if you have the time. I just want to encourage you, we'll provide the training, we'll provide all that you need. All you need is a willing heart uh, to come and make a difference, and God will use you to invest the next generation. Now more than ever, this generation that's growing up in the church needs people, people like you, to invest in them, to care for them, to love them, to teach them about the truth of God's word and God's love through Jesus. So yeah, we'll provide all the training, curriculum, all the resources that, that you need to serve in whatever role that you can fill. In the lobby, we have a display set up with openings that we currently have, and we'd love to help you find a spot that's just right for you. We invite you to say yes. Say yes. So saying yes, I just want to encourage you to think about yourself. You know, we're in a series on faith right now, and when we talk about faith, really isn't faith simply saying yes? Maybe when we don't feel comfortable or we don't know what the outcome might be or maybe we're a little bit afraid. Here's a great opportunity to, to step out in faith for a great cause. There's many, many things to say yes to, but is there anything more important than helping the next generation come to know Jesus and come to follow him, to love him and to serve him. So I really want to encourage you to think about that. If, if you are interested in learning more about that, simply go to the, uh, the kids' station um, desk here in the lobby. You can pick up a, a Say Yes card to learn more about the opportunities that are here at this service, but also the opportunities that are all across our campuses. Well, as I mentioned, we are in a series called By Faith, where we are looking at Hebrews chapter 11, this faith hall of fame, where we look at these incredible giants of faith and the steps that they took to uh, follow Jesus, ultimately looking to him and seeing him through the eyes of faith. And last week we started uh, looking at the life of Moses. It was Moses part one. Now when we hear the name of Moses, I want to mention again, you know, maybe we think about the movies 
where we see Mo- Moses. And if we're old enough, maybe we remember uh, Sunday school um, with the felt going up. But I want to remind you, when the author of Hebrews moves from Abraham to Moses, he has the attention of the first century Jewish convert to Christianity who is living in Rome, basically in exile, an incredibly uh, a challenging uh, a place to be. So when they hear the writer going from Abraham to Moses, he has their attention. attention. He has their attention. Moses was a big deal, and he is a big deal in biblical history. But when, when a, a Jewish person in the first century heard Moses, this is what they thought about. They thought about him being the greatest prophet. They thought about him being the one to whom God had given the law. They thought about him who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And he was the man who God used to deliver his people from Egypt, which is ultimately a picture of what Jesus did for the world. Moses was the man. Listen to Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12, uh, at the end of Moses' life, uh, how he's described. And there has not arisen a prophet since, uh, since an Israelite Moses, who the Lord knew the face, who the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his servants and to all his land. And all and, and for all the mighty power and for all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. To the opera fan, it's Pavarotti. To the basketball fan, it's Michael Jordan. To the theater fan, it's Shakespeare. But to the Jewish people, it's Moses. It's Moses. The writer of Hebrews has their attention. And I hope he has ours today as well. Last week, we looked at Hebrews eleven twenty three to 26, and we saw the courageous faith of his parents. We saw the costly faith, faith that, that Moses exercised when he chose his identity as an Israelite over his identity as an Egyptian. And we saw Moses live out a confident faith, a faith that would rather suffer by being identified with God than being comfortable and accepted without him. But this is not the end of the journey of faith for Moses. It's actually just the start. You know, all summer long, I live in unincorporated Batavia, and right, right down uh, McKee, where I drive by every day, they are building a huge development. Has anybody seen this development? I see it, and then we hear it all night long. They seem to be working uh, 24 hours a day trying to put this, put this giant development in. I don't know how many homes are going, and I looked it up once. It's, it looks like it's going to be hundreds of homes. A little bit sad, because I, I like the fields, and moving from the city in 2019, it was nice to have a little space. But anyway, that I digress. Um, I've been watching for three months, and all I see them doing is moving dirt. They're moving dirt. Uh, they're only, they haven't even started the foundations of the homes. They're still putting in sewer and putting in the roads. Well, what are those men doing? Well, those, those workmen understand that to, they need to put in the time and they need to put into work for that which isn't seen, but is so necessary. And last week we saw the same type of work being done in the life of Moses. In these first two acts of Moses' life, we see his faith and identity being formed in Egypt. And we see his faith being further forged during his years in the desert of Midian, where he he went from being a prince of Egypt to being a sheep herder for his father-in-law. But where he ultimately experienced God's presence and power 
when he received God's call at the burning bush. And it's these first two acts that we see Moses' faith forged and formed. But it's this final act where we're going to see Moses' faith on full display. I want to pause here for a second. It most likely was 80 years before Moses was called by God to return to Egypt to begin the whole process of the Exodus. 80 years. We say that. We read that. We say it in one sentence. 80 years. What, what was Moses doing year 29 when he was chasing some sheep up a ravine? I want you to hear, if you are in a place where you don't feel like God is present or you feel like you're facing obstacles that you can't overcome, God doesn't waste time. God doesn't waste time. He is active and working in your life right now. And I don't know what he's doing. I'm not going to try and pretend that I, do, I know what he's doing. But he's doing something in, her, in, in your life. And he wants you to join him in that. He wants you to join him in that. So may your faith be formed and forged in your years of the wilderness, wherever you're experiencing that. But we're going to be talking today about a, a faith that is on full display, that is fully formed. And we're going to look at that and see that in verses 27 to 29. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can read it on the screen. Let me read this for us. By faith, he, that's Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same were drowned. Hebrews 11, 27 to 29, here we see a fully formed faith on full display. Now this type of faith would most certainly have been encouraging and comforting to the members of the first century church as they navigated this inhospitable Roman Empire. And, and I believe it has relevance today for anyone who feels at odds or is confused with the unbelieving world around them. I assume that's all of us in some place. Now we're going to see this fully formed faith overcome obstacles because it's a faith that is rooted in the one who overcomes. Let's remember, Moses is not the hero. None of these people are the hero of Hebrews chapter 11. The hero of Hebrews chapter 11 is God. So while we're going to be encouraged by the faith of Mo Moses, let's be more encouraged by the faithfulness of the God who comes through over and over and over again. But what exactly does this fully formed faith look like in the life of Moses? Well, we're going to see three examples and characteristics of what this faith looks like, and then we're going to have one final outcome at the end of our time. So first, Moses demonstrates a faith that fearlessly endures. A faith that fearlessly endures, and it endures in the face of opposition. Look at verse 27 again. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Well, what's going on here? Well, look back at, at Hebrews chapter, one, uh, ch chapter 11, verse 1. By faith, what does Hebrews 11, 1 say? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. This idea of faith is, is looking forward, taking God at his word, acting on that conviction, even before we see God act. And by faith... Moses faces his first huge obstacle. 
Listen to what he is called to do right after his encounter with God at the burning bush in, in Exodus 4, 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Those words we read in, in Scripture, right? No, God is telling, telling Moses to go to the most powerful man in the world and say, look, if you don't let my people go, it's going to go bad for you. It's going to go really, really bad for you. In fact, you're going to lose your son. Now, again, remember this guy, Pharaoh, most powerful man in, in the known world at the time. A man who uh, assumed that he was a god, was told that he was a god, lived like a god, and was probably used to getting his own way. Imagine right now, if God called you to go into Vladimir Putin's office and say, hey, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to do it right now because God says so. It's a big deal. It's a huge obstacle. But it's not simply Pharaoh, but it's his anger and his wrath that he has to face. And how does he face this down? And how does he endure this, this obstacle of fierce opposition? What's his response? Well, what does verse 27 say? He was not afraid, but he endured. And what allowed Moses to not fear but to endure the wrath of Pharaoh? Well, I think there's two things we can see that help Moses uh, in, have a fearless endurance in the face of Pharaoh. The first thing that marks this fearless endurance, that marks this faith, is the start of verse 27. He left. He left Egypt. Faith starts by leaving something, almost always, doesn't it? Moses left Egypt. The weight of the word here is to abandon, to forsake, to give up completely. And that's just what Moses did. He abandoned his identity as a prince of Egypt. He abandoned his affections for all things Egypt. He forsook all that Egypt had to offer, he gave up completely on being Egyptian. And he was able to endure Pharaoh because and all that he had to offer had no longer had a pull on his heart. Pharaoh and Egypt no longer informed his identity, and Pharaoh and Egypt were no longer where he placed his hope. He left Egypt, and in his heart, he never went back. Faith always involves stepping away from something, but it also involves stepping towards and stepping out in faith towards God. Look at the end of verse 21. And that's exactly what Moses does, right? He endured as seeing him who is visible. He placed his hope in the unseen God rather than the visible king. His eyes were fixed on God. God had his attention. God had his focus. He saw human power for what it was, and he did not fear. He saw God's power for what it was, and he trusted and then what did he do? He acted accordingly. That is the recipe for enduring faith. It's interesting. The writer of Hebrews, right at the end of the chapter, in Hebrews, some of the most famous verses in Scripture, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, all of us who are followers of Jesus have the same call to enduring faith. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that means Moses is watching our lives right now, let us lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance, run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, seeing him who is invisible, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So just like Moses, you and I, we are called to leave, to lay aside, to forsake anything that is holding us back, anything that is not of God in our lives. And we're called to run, that is to live, to act fearlessly with endurance. And who are we to look to? To Jesus. We are to look to Jesus. He is the one who founded our faith, and he is the one who is going to continue our faith. He is the one who is going to continue to, to grow our faith. He is the one who is going to nurture our faith until it's perfected ultimately with him in heaven. So enduring faith involves leaving what is not of God behind physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you're holding on to something or someone that you need to let go of, that you need to leave that you need to forsake. I'm not telling you have to do that. I'm asking you to search your hearts. Now is the time to do it. And if you can't do it on your own, share that burden with somebody. We're not called to stay in Egypt. We're not called to, to get entangled and entrapped in things that so easily take us away from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we need each other to do that. Do it today. Enduring faith also means that we see and believe and follow Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And maybe you're here today and, and, and you're not seeing our Savior. Your hope, your attention, your affections, your trust are being put in other things or, or other people. Or maybe you're fearing something more than you're trusting God. I ask you to search your hearts. Now is the time to open your eyes and to fix them on Jesus and to begin to run the race as you remove all the obstacles and run your race with your eyes fixed on him. What do you need to leave? Where do you need to open your eyes and see God? Where do you need to move out trusting God? If you want faith that endures, those are things that we must do to participate in God's work in our lives. Not only did Moses demonstrate a fearless faith that, that endures in the face of, of opposition, he also demonstrated an obedient faith that saves. Look at verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkled, and, and the sprinkled blood so that the, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Again, by faith, the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen, verse 1. By faith, Moses faces down this, this another great obstacle. What's the obstacle here? Well, it's God himself and it's just judgment upon Egypt. Now, why is Israel included in, in God's just judgment against Egypt? It's because God wanted to show them his plan for salvation and pointed to his ultimate plan, the great plan of salvation for the whole world. Now, remember what happens in the book of Exodus, right? Moses asked Pharaoh to let to let the people leave Egypt to go worship in the desert. What does Pharaoh do? He refuses. So then the plagues begin. Blood, frogs, lice, flies, death of livestock, boils, hail, 
locusts, darkness, and then finally the threat of the loss of the firstborn son, every firstborn son in Egypt, including the Israelites in all of Egypt are now threatened. But never forget, God makes this threat, but he provides a way out. In Exodus 12, we see God's plan. He clearly defines and commands a process by which the people will be saved. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to take a male lamb, to kill it at twilight, to take some of the blood and to spread it over the doorposts of their homes, then to roast the lamb, to get dressed in traveling clothes, to be dressed ready to run out the door. And the Lord made a promise that he would pass over everyone who obeyed these commands. And God did what he does. He kept his word. And the next morning, there was a great mourning in Egypt, except for the Israelites, because they obeyed God's command, and they had followed his plan for salvation. And God passed over. And most of us know the rest of the story. Pharaoh relents for a while and allows Moses and his people to leave. So how did Moses demonstrate faith that saved in the face of God's impending judgment? How did Moses' faith save himself in Israel? Well, it's pretty obvious from the text, and this is a pretty obvious one for us to grasp in our heads, but it's a hard one for us to get in our hearts. Moses' faith saved him because he did exactly what God told him to do. He believed God, and he obeyed God. Look at verse 28. He kept the Passover. Kept. He obeyed, and he acted. Kept. That's obedient action. He did exactly what was asked of him. And what was the result? Salvation was obtained for the people of God. And the Passover was instituted. Now notice, he kept the Passover before seeing the deliverance that would happen. Saving faith always involves obedient action, even before the saving takes place. We see saving faith coupled with obedient action all over Scripture, but especially in this chapter. Noah believed God could save, and he acted obediently. He built an ark, and God saved him. Abraham believed God would provide a sacrifice. He acted obediently, and God saved Isaac. All of these stories, especially at Passover, now point to the great salvation of all of Scripture, right? About 4,000 years later, there came a man who completely obeyed God's law who paid the price that we could all not pay because ultimately we could not fully obey all that God commanded. This man was led as a lamb to slaughter and his blood was spilled over wood. But it wasn't an old doorpost. It was an old rugged cross. And God's judgment is now available, or God's salvation is now available to those who obey You see, the Passover is a picture of the spilt blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, to save God's people. Moses kept the Passover by doing what was asked of him. Jesus' death and resurrection are a fulfillment of the Passover. So what does it mean for us to have obedient action in the face of God's judgment this side of the cross? Well, Paul puts it this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. 
Jesus himself says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus believed God, He obeyed God, and He provided a way for us to be saved. Our work, our obedient action is to believe God, to take Him at His word, obey His plan, confess our sins, believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, receive the gift of salvation, and be saved. Think about it. If you knew that you were going to be facing a bomb, and a bomb blowing up somewhere in her life, but you had the opportunity to take a class for defusing a bomb, do you think you'd pay attention to the rules for defusing a bomb? Do you think you would uh, maybe just wing it? You and I as, as, uh, as human beings were made in God's image, but because of the fall, we were born into sin and we willfully sinned and we are apart from God. And we can have the opportunity to spend uh, eternity apart from him. But he has provided a way for that judgment and that separation to pass over. That's through his son, Jesus. And all we need to do is follow his plan. Obediently follow his plan. What about the salvation of our souls? Are we going to trust our gut? Are we going to follow our instinct? We're going to think that we're, we're good enough, that we're better than everyone else? Or we're going to follow the directions? Or we're going to follow God's directions? And I don't know you here and your story right now, but I want to ask, do you believe in God and what He says that His plan of salvation is? We have the opportunity to obediently obey by simply receiving this gift that Jesus is giving us through his finished work on the cross. The only way to be saved from our sin and enter into relationship with God the Father is again to believe what Jesus did and give him your life. There's nothing more and there's nothing less. Now I need to ask, are you making your own gospel? Are you trying to find your own way to God? Are you making up your own rules? Oh, I can just be good enough. Well, there's many ways to get to heaven. It's not what Jesus says. He says there's one way, and it's him. Maybe you're adding something to the gospel. I'm going to believe in Jesus, but, but I, you have to do this, or I can't do this. And anybody who does this or, or doesn't do this, they're not saved. God has one plan for salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's an important question for us who have walked with Jesus a long time because religiousness can easily creep in and we can add to what Jesus is telling us to do. Or maybe you're taking advantage of the gospel and you, you've entered into saving faith, but you know what? Hey, I don't have to continue to follow and obey Jesus and what he's called me to do and to follow him in faith. Again, these are questions that... I, that I can't answer for you, only you can answer before the Lord. But a faith that saves is a faith that obeys God's way of salvation. And at Passover, Moses believed and obeyed, and God saves. And at the cross, 
We obey by believing. And what does God do? He saves. He saves. We see one final example of this fully formed faith of Moses coming now in verse 29. Here he demonstrates a trusting faith that delivers. It's a trusting faith that delivers from impossible circumstances. What does verse 29 say? By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. What's going on here? Well, again, by faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, he faces down yet another obstacle. And they just keep, they keep getting, getting bigger and bigger. Remember, after Passover and the death of the Egyptian firstborn sons, Pharaoh gave in, and he allowed the Israelites to leave Egypt. But as soon as they left, remember, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sent his armies to pursue Moses and God's people. Well, in the meantime, Moses had led the Israelites to the shores of the Red Sea. It's an ocean. So I hope you see the obstacle here. Crossing the ocean or facing down the greatest army in the world at the time. Talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm sorry, I'm a father of four daughters. I have to be corny at some point. It was in this space that between the ocean and the greatest army of the world charging at full force that we see Exodus 14, 21, and 22 come into to, to play. Look at Moses' faith right here. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them, on their right hand and their left hand. Moses had a faith in the face of impossible circumstances, and God delivered. This, this faith was demonstrated through trusting action. What action did they take that was trusting? They stepped in. Now, we, we hear this, so we might have a picture. Folks, it's the ocean. Can you imagine the sight of what this looked like? Forget the sight. Imagine the sound. The sound of the wind holding the water back? The sound of an army coming on chariots? Let's go. By faith. Each one of them took that step. And what happened? God's people were delivered. Just like obedient action saved them at the Passover, trusting action now delivers them from their enemies and through their circumstances. And notice who did the delivering. Who gets the credit? The Lord. The Lord drove back the sea. It wasn't Moses' faith that saved him. It was the Lord that saved him. And the faith of Moses again points to the deliverer. Now I'm a as I mentioned, I'm a father of four daughters, and one of my favorite memories that's sort of a big conglomeration in my head is going to pools with my little girls um, and having them stand on the, the edge of the pool and jump to dad. And I love watching them see the water with fear, then look at me with semi-trust, and then look at the water, and then look at me with, with a little bit more trust, and eventually taking that leap of faith. And one became a diver, one became a, a swimmer. Um, but anyway, but, but then I, I loved catching them and saving them, not letting them drown and taking them back up. And what happened when they, when they stepped up again? They jumped more 
and they jump more freely, they jump more joyfully. The more they trusted me, the more they trusted their father. Faith that delivers steps out in trust. And I want to encourage you, if you have not stepped out in trust, the more you step out in trust, the more your faith will grow. Because you will see that God will be there to catch you. Where are you at right now? Are you at the side of the pool? Looking at the water? Are you afraid that your dad's not going to catch you? He's there. And he wants you to jump. He wants you to trust him. He wants to deliver you. In fact, he wants to show you that you don't have to be stuck in whatever you're stuck in. So where are you looking at the pool with fear instead of looking to your father with trust? Where is God calling you to step out in faith, maybe even though it doesn't make any sense? Where is God calling you to look to him and not to your circumstances? And where is God calling you to trust and follow him instead of fearing others or what might happen? This is the overcoming, fully formed, enduring, obedient, trusting faith that Moses puts on display for us in these three little verses. But let's look at one more impact of Moses' faith in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been circled for seven days. I want to end with this in terms of looking at this text, your faith is never just about yourself. It's never just about yourself. You see, Moses demonstrates a faith that leaves a legacy. Let me explain. Remember Moses' first experience with faith? It wasn't him. It was the faith of his parents and the faith of his sisters that blessed and sustained him through their faithful actions. Moses received a legacy of faith from his family. And Moses' expression of faith in the final chapter of his life were never just about him. He could have stayed in the desert and probably had a pretty decent life. But he stepped out in faith because he knew God was going to use him to save his people. And now in verse 30, we see his legacy. His legacy of faith. Now Moses has passed away. As he's passed away and his protege Joshua has led the people of Israel into the promised land after 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. And this is a land that God has promised to give him. And guess what? They had many obstacles to face as they entered the land. And one of the biggest obstacles was this fortified city of Jericho. It had great walls around it. But God said to go and take that. But here's the thing. God had a plan to deliver the city to them. It was a plan that didn't make any sense. doesn't make sense to me now. If you guys know the story, I hope it doesn't make sense to you too. They were to walk without making a word seven days around the city. And God said, in the last day, I'm going to deliver it into your hands. And guess what they did? A legacy of Moses' obedient faith. They obeyed. Even though it didn't make sense, they stepped out in faith. They followed God's plans and what 
happened. What happened? God shows up. He saves, he delivers, and the walls come tumbling down. The walls come tumbling down. And that faith was shown and demonstrated and shown to the next generation. Now, no, not everybody followed. But I want you to hear this. Some always did. And that tapestry of faith, of faithful people from Abraham to Moses has continued down through history of people being faithful, of stepping out in faith, of obediently acting upon what God calls them to do, even if they don't feel like it or they're afraid to do it. And you know where that last step of that faith, faith tapestry happened? It's when somebody shared Jesus with you. And guess what? It doesn't end. You and I have a choice right now. Look, it doesn't matter what obstacles we're facing. It doesn't matter what wilderness we're in. We have the opportunity to join God, to step out with him in faith and be part of this tapestry and help the next generation see the invisible God, to know him, to follow him, and do the same thing. That's what we're doing here today. That's what we do when we come to church, is we're building up each other's faith so we can go out, whether it's in our homes or in, in, our, in our offices or in our classrooms, and we can continue this tapestry of faith that Hebrews 11 so beautifully describes. You are part of Hebrews 11 as people of faith. We are a legacy of Moses. I hope you hear that. Who are you leaving a legacy with today? Moses lived a life of overcoming faith. He showed endurance in the face of opposition. He experienced salvation in the face of judgment and was delivered, into the fa- delivered in the face of impossible circumstances. What was special about Moses? Not, not that much. Except that he believed God. He trusted and he obeyed. And God showed up and he did the saving and he did the delivering This life of faith is all about God. It's his work. And it's our work to trust and obey. There's no other way. Moses' faith was extraordinary because he believed in his heart and obeyed with his actions in our extraordinary God. And I just want to say, I know that God is not calling you and me to take on kids, take on kings and and take out nations, but the same God is calling us to a life of faith in the face of whatever obstacle you're facing. And he wants you to step out and obey and watch him do the work. And then pass it on. Leave a legacy of faith. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will open our eyes to you, to your power, to your love, to your grace, and to your mercy. Help us to obey your plan of salvation, to not add our own ideas, or to take away what your plan is. Help us to exercise an ordinary faith in you, our extraordinary God. And may we praise you when you show up and you help us endure, and when you save us, and when you deliver us. 
Now, Lord, as we move into a time of communion, may we remember and rejoice at your extraordinary work on our behalf. And may we thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his finished work on the cross. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of communion now. And if you don't have a communion cup, please raise your hand. We want to make sure you have one. Here at Chapel Street Church, um, we have open communion. That means that if you are, are part of the family of God, and that you have given your life to follow Jesus, then this table is for you. This is a family meal. We invite you to come, to come to the table. All followers of Jesus are welcome. Now here's how this works. If you could take off the first lid... tricky with a microphone communion is an important time to reflect on God's plan for salvation and to reflect on our faith and what Jesus has done it's a time to rejoice it's a time to soberly consider how we follow him but ultimately this is a time about Jesus so let's turn our hearts and our minds to him and let's obey what he has commanded us to do to remind us and nourish us of, of the work that he has done for us and the faith that he has established in our hearts. So if you'll take the bread. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. taking off the, the second lid. And in the same way, on that same night, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. Amen. Hear the benediction. As you leave this place, May you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And may you run this race this week with your eyes fixed on Him. And may you trust Him and obey Him. There is no other way. Amen.